we've got kind of a small group, so I feel better down here, if you guys don't mind. Um, and Jerry, you kind of scared me this morning offering ice cream to everyone. Um, I thought, man, I don't want a big crowd here. But no, honestly, I think the reason we're here or the reason we should be here is because we hunger and thirst after righteousness. So I really appreciate all of you that are, that are here and for, for being here. I think it's important for us to be here. And um, I trust that you had a blessed day in the Lord and um, made the best use of your time. Tonight I want to speak on redeeming the time. And so I don't know how much of your time that I will take up, but um, that's the, the focus I have. Uh, Dan and I are fellow fishermen, and I want to thank him for the fish story because um, I can always count on him for a good fish story. <laughs> and really, the story of Jonah, there really isn't a better one. And so often in my life, I find myself in Jonah's shoes saying no to God and then God chastising me and bringing me back. But we need to be thankful the Lord chastises them that he loves, right? If he left us alone, where would we be? Um, but I thought about what you said about those swells. In this past year in this country, if we take our eyes off our true hope, those swells are there and they're real, right? But thank the Lord, our hope is in God and, and Jesus, as you mentioned. So we need to um, encourage one another to keep our eyes on our hope and not on these swells because they are big swells and they are real and they are there but that's not our hope so hopefully tonight um, we can uh, gain a, a new hope and and what what is our hope um, eternity um, so back on March 29th was when I was originally scheduled to share and a couple weeks prior to that was when Everything was shut down. Um, but how many of you remember when we started meeting in satellite groups the first week and Merlin had a pre-recorded message and we were all gathering in our homes and listening to the pre-recorded message and um, Merlin isn't here so I was going to tell him he couldn't answer anyhow. But how many of you can remember that message. Anyone? What was it? The message. Can you guys hear me okay? Okay. Jerry? Making wise use of our times was the, the message. So that was probably, what, seven months ago now or five or six months ago now and and at the first part of the year when I was prefer preparing to share in March I had um, the Lord had shown me a passage um, in the Old Testament in Genesis and it was the passage when Jacob called his sons to him to pronounce a blessing or a curse on each one of them and tell them what would befall them in the last days and through that through the reading of that um, 
God showed me how his word authenticates itself and it proves itself. Um, I looked at some of the things that Jacob said. He was actually acting as a prophet at that time. And I looked in the Old Testament and it was amazing that the, the truth, the things that came to pass that he had prophesied. And I saw scriptures in the New Testament that um, confirmed what he said in the Old Testament way back there in Genesis. And I've always been intrigued with that passage anyhow because Jacob was very old. These were his last words. And they say a lot of times your last words are your most important words. And he had all his sons there and he pronounced a blessing on some of them and a curse on others. But So I was able to share that message to a few people individually, but not in this setting. And that's not the message I have for tonight, so maybe that would be for another time. But um, lately, I've been impressed more and more about redeeming the time for the days are evil, which comes out of Ephesians. Um, so before I get started with this, I want you guys to help me out. We're going to do two things. Um, don't get nervous. Nothing, nothing to get nervous about. On the count of three, I want us all to take a deep breath. That's all. On the count of three, we'll take a deep breath, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. Okay, I feel much better now. <laughs> no, that's not why I did that. Did you know that the Bible says in Psalms 144.4, man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. It didn't take long to do that. In God's sight, that's our life. And okay, here's another thing. I would like everyone to take your hand and put it in front of your face, about a foot, and in your mind, imagine how many inches wide your hand is. Okay, get an idea in your mind. And now I'm going to ask for three volunteers to tell me in inches how wide they would guess their hand is. Who, who could I get to volunteer? Sylvia? Okay. Four inches? Anyone else want to guess how wide their hand is? Joe? Or I mean John? Yeah. How wide your hand is this way? Four inches. I was going to say, Sylvia's probably isn't four inches. Jeremy, what about yours? Four? Three? Well, in Psalms 39.5, it says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a hand breadth, hand width. Another translation says, In fact, you have made my days just inches long. Just inches long. What is the Bible trying to say to us in these verses? Anyone? What do you think the Bible's trying to say to us? That's right. Our life here is very short. Um, so my message tonight is, so teach us to number our days taken out of Psalms 90 verse 12. You probably have all heard someone say about someone, his days are numbered or her days are numbered. Well, the fact of the matter is, our days are numbered, whether we like it or not. And there's nothing you nor I can do to change that. We need to 
um, come to terms with that. The Bible has a lot to say about that, and we can learn some, some things about eternity. Open to Psalms chapter 90. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. And here in this Psalms, um, we see that our life is brief, but also we are told to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Is there anyone here who doesn't want to be wise? Nobody wants to be a fool, right? And that's a good thing. Well, this verse seems to imply to me, or does imply, that if we don't consider how short our life is, that we're not being wise. So if we just live without giving any thought of our life, we're, we're being foolish. Are we making wise use of it, or are we wasting it? I'm going to go ahead and read now Psalms 90, 1 through 12. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I would like to look at verses 1 and 2 a little bit here. Um, we see, those are very familiar verses to us, but we see three things that I think are um, foundational truths to our faith. One, God is eternal. Two, he is the creator. And three, he is our dwelling place. Um, I think a good place to start in this Psalms would be to ask ourselves, does my life give evidence that I believe that God is eternal, he is the creator, and he is our dwelling place? Those things alone should change the way we live. Um, in another verse in Psalms 4.4, 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. And Proverbs 16.6 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. This is the God of the universe. It's the God we serve. And I think the fear of the Lord, uh, in another place it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think that it doesn't seem like there's much fear of God anymore. And I wonder, what would this world look like? How would it change if we just had the fear of God? And then I thought, what about our churches? 
I, I don't even think in our churches today we have the fear of God like we should. So, um, moving to verses 3 through 12, we see that our lives are short. We learn that death is universal. Um, we all came from the dust, and to the dust we shall return. It says here that we are as grass that grows up in the morning and then withers away in the evening. It gives, it even gives our life expectancy here. Um, it says three score and ten or four score, but not without sorrow. I was going to ask, is anyone present tonight that's uh, four score, which would be 80 years old? Okay, Ruby's 80, Floyd's 80. Huh? Wow. 87. Well, I'm 54. Think about that. Think of three score and 10 or four score. And if I'm 54, that doesn't give me a lot of years. And I certainly don't want to waste it. Um, when I look back on my life right now, I'm ashamed of how much time I've wasted. And by the grace of God, I, you know, I've repented of that and I don't want to waste something that you can't redo. It's not like some things you get a second chance. You don't get a second chance with your life. So something to think about. In Psalms 39, there's another passage that deals with the brevity of our life. Only it takes it a step further than our life being short. It says that we are frail. So it says, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Do we realize how frail we are? We all could, any one of us this could be the last day that we're alive. It can happen suddenly. Um, there's no guarantee that you're going to live to the normal life expectancy. Um, another thing you've heard said is so-and-so's living on borrowed time. What, we're not? We're not living on borrowed time? I know a lot of times my actions don't indicate that I believe I'm living on borrowed time. I'm not living like today could be my last. So, in Luke, a couple verses here to emphasize the point. In Luke 12, 19 and 20, we read, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And in James 4 we read, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year, buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Um, so not only is our life short, if we live a full life, it can be taken from us at any time. And we've experienced that 
within our congregation more times than one. I had to think about Brett and Lisa, and I know I'm missing some, so forgive me, and Eric and Brenda's little boy and others. Um, they didn't live a full life according to the world's, but God has numbered our days, so... Okay, another thing to keep in mind, besides our life being short or frail, our frame being frail, is the fact that the Lord could return at any time. He could return today, tomorrow. Are we living in such a way to be ready? To me, if we're redeeming the time, we'll be ready when he returns. It even says we're to be looking for and hasting the day of his return. I said, you know, I thought about that. That seems to be, and my wife and I have talked about it before, that seems to be totally missing in the church today even. There's very few people even in the church that are looking for and hasting the day of the coming of the Lord. Why is that? Are we living for today or are we living for eternity? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can I say that? What about you? Are we ready to meet the Lord? When he returns, then it'll be too late. Anything that we have done with our time, it's too late if we aren't ready. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. Are we living now to be prepared for the judgment? Um, there's a book called Driven by Eternity. I'm not familiar with the book. I'm just reading something that was quoted by the author. And he says, Christians that are driven by eternity live with purpose and know their eternal destiny is being written by how they live on earth. This will provide them a grand entrance into the kingdom of God rather than slipping in with all they've done burned up and destroyed. It's not that we're living in a way to earn our salvation. Don't, don't take that from what I'm sharing tonight at all. Um, but faith without works is dead. Um, we can't go through life and just waste the whole t amount of time and then just expect a grand interest into the kingdom of God. Um, The key, I think, here is our understanding that we all do have an eternal existence. Life is short, that's true. But we all have an eternal existence. And although our life here is brief, it's how we live here that determines our eternal, or how we spend eternity. So numbering our days should cause us to set our minds on things above. I believe that is a verse, a verse in Colossians, excuse me. It should give us an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one. It should inspire us to redeem the time. Um, what about our priorities? How does this mindset affect our priorities? I think we all probably have thought a lot or some about our priorities in the past. Our, pro our priorities dictate our choices, and our choices indicate our true values and beliefs. I'll say that again. Our priorities dictate our choices, 
and our choices indicate our true values and beliefs. Often we'll try to justify why we do things or why we choose things or make an excuse, but most of the time the truth of the matter is it's a matter of our priorities. Now there are things out of our control. I, I, we all understand that. But largely the things we do, the things we choose, the things we spend our money on, the things we, the places we go, is simply a priority. Um, an example of that is the reason that you're here tonight is because you made it a priority to be here rather than be somewhere else. It's simple as that. And I, and I believe the reason that oftentimes we have a small group on Sunday night or Wednesday night, or we're not here on Wednesday night with the church house full with meaningful times of prayer is because we didn't make it a priority. That's, I mean, I don't know if that's too harsh of a statement, but it's, to me, if we would have made it a priority, and I understand now that we have small groups, and I'm not, I don't want to debate whether one is over the other. That's not my point here. My point here is simply that it's our priorities that determine how we live. Do you guys agree with that or not? So, having this mindset of numbering our days should in fact affect our priorities. Okay, I thought I would talk a little bit about what are some practical ways to redeem the time. And this is not an exhaustive list, it's probably a really short list. And I'm sure that um, it's not even a good list. It's just a few things I thought of. But the number one I put on there was fellowshipping with other believers. Um, you know, Hebrews says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day draw near. We need to be in fellowship with other believers. I know Brother Chris was really hurting for a few weeks because he couldn't be here at the church. And he was excited about being able to be back in church. I know for a long time we weren't meeting and a lot of people were excited to get back together and have fellowship. And I think we should continue to um, make it a priority, whether it's the Wednesday night or Sunday night or the small group. We need fellowship, and there are families I've heard of in the, in the recent weeks that are needing more fellowship. And I think that um, number one, or the number one on my list for tonight as a way to redeem the time is fellowshipping with other believers. Number two is serving others rather than self. It says in the word, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And one of our biggest problems is we're self-centered. And one of the best ways to um, have victory over being self-centered, I believe, is by serving. Um, I'm thankful to Glenn for encouraging us to come work on the highway to clean up the trash. Because that's a small opportunity to serve and I was able to use that as an illustration with my own children this year they're continually wanting to spend time hours with their friends 
But it was like pulling teeth to get him to come with me to pick up trash on the highway for two hours. And it's like, think about it. We're, you're not interested in serving, but you'll spend the entire weekend playing with your friends. And so I said, no, you're not going to go unless you can cheerfully come and serve. And we came and you know what the thing it's so encouraging because God's word is true. And when you do that, you're the one that receives the blessing. You're out there rejoicing, picking up trash because you're serving. And so often we go so long without serving that we forget that that's where true joy comes from. It says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So serving others rather than self is redeeming the time. I put hosting missionaries in your home. We have talked about that, but very seldom have done it. I know some of you have hosted a lot of people. Um, we're called to be hospitable. Um, it also provides fellowship. It gives us a new perspective when we host people that are sacrificing their life for the gospel and serving as a missionary. So that's a good way, to, I believe, to redeem time. Having meaningful family time. I think the one thing that we enjoyed um, at family camp, we were there the week before the records went, is just spending time as a family with other families, spending time through teaching, um, worship, together as a family, in the Word, and learning. And I think we need to do that in our homes more. I know that that's been a shortcoming of mine, and I think it's the dad's responsibility here to make this a priority, to have meaningful family time, and to lead this one. This, uh, Like I said, this one's been a struggle for me. Um, and then lastly, uh, maybe a good way to redeem the time is learning to say no to things that are of useless pursuits, uh, whatever that may be. Some people naturally have a hard time saying no. If some of their friends or family wants to do something, even though it might be a useless pursuit, they have a hard time saying no. Um, I'm actually getting better at telling my kids no. I wish I would have learned that to do that more consistently earlier. But maybe we need to say no to our hobbies. Maybe it's our Facebook account. Maybe it's video games. Those are useless pursuits in light of eternity. Unless we're doing that with someone that's building a relationship, like I know there's been people share how they've done something like that with a child or something to build a relationship. I understand that. But let's be honest here. How much time do we really waste on useless pursuits? Maybe you don't. I don't know. I know I have way too much, and by the grace of God, I'm going to waste less. Um, so be intentional about asking if something is a wise thing to do before doing it. I want you to imagine with me a rocking chair illustration. Now, I chose the age of 90 years old because I didn't know if we had anyone that was that old, but we're close. Uh, everyone here, imagine we're all 90 years old right now. 
and you're looking back on the life that you've lived up till now. So whatever age you are, imagine you're 90, you're in a rocking chair, you're to the point in your life where someone is going to have to assist you to live. Basically, you can get out of bed and get in your chair and spend your day rocking in your rocking chair on the porch, and that's pretty much... Now, the good thing is, I'll tell you, is that time will be short. We know our lives are short 90 years, so that time that we... Because that sounds kind of depressing, doesn't it? Be 90 years old, all you can do is sit in a rocking chair. But just for your imagination, look back on your life and ask yourself, did you use your time wisely or did you waste it? Once you get to that point, you can't go back. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, the other good news is that all of you that are here tonight are not in that place, so you still have plenty of time to redeem the time because you still can get in cars and drive. You can still share the gospel with others. You're not 90 years old and, you know, sitting in a chair and unable to do anything. So that's the good news. So from here forward, you can make the wise use of the rest of your time. Another thing I thought of mentioning was, it says, so teach us to number our days. So how does the Lord teach us to number our days? I was thinking about that. For me, part of it's just been getting older. I have a different perspective. Time is a precious gift from God, and it's limited. Okay, so it, it gets shorter and shorter. But really... I think the best way we learn to apply this wisdom, it's usually when the Lord touches your life or someone close to you in a powerful way. Think about that. If the Lord touches you in your life or someone close to you in a powerful way, maybe it's a severe time of suffering or loss. <coughs> I think of people that have lost loved ones. And I want to um, mention Merlin Bontrager, not to bring glory to him in any way, but Merlin has been an example that we've all seen of someone who has embraced eternity. And even to the point where at times I thought, man, maybe he's embracing eternity too much. But no, we have so much to look forward to when we get to heaven. And Tonight, when we close, I want to spend time reading a couple chapters in Revelation. And we'll see what we have to look forward to. But it seems like those experiences are the best teacher. I don't expect at all for anyone to hear me or anyone share a message on redeeming the time and have that make a large impact. It's going to have to be the Lord or it's going to have to be an experience He's going to have to get your attention. But I think it's good that we all discuss these things and think about them. But it's when those uh, uh, times in life come when the, when the Lord touches someone or you go through a trial or something, that that's what the Bible says is what causes us to grow is when we go through trials, to count it all joy, um, 
Okay, um, I'm gonna, I had asked Autumn if she would read a poem for me. So at this time, I'm going to have her read the poem, and then we'll be closing shortly. I don't know the title even. You don't even have the title at the top. Okay. The title is Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed, and it's by C.T. Studd. Two, two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow thy word to keep, faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life, t'will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. I don't know if you're familiar with C.T. Studd, but he was a missionary to India. He served in China and in Africa. Um, and he wrote that poem. I think probably you've all heard the stanza, Only One Life Will Soon Be Passed. Um, <coughs> I'm not sure if I skipped over some of these notes, but I um, have notes here that say, ask yourself what consumes me. It says in the Bible that God's will is that none would perish. And all of us would say, absolutely, we agree with that. Um, but are we really that zealous for the lost? If you look at how we spend our time and how we spend our money and how we witness to others or what we do to share the gospel, for me, it's convicting. Um, that's what I want to be passionate about. Okay, in closing, I'd like you to turn to Revelations 21. Lest this seem like a morbid or a 
uh, this depressing message tonight. I, I thought if we read this, if nothing else, it should fill our hearts with hope and joy and um, basically bliss. Um, I'm going to start reading in chapter 21 and just read through chapter 22. It's quite a lengthy passage, but we'll, we'll get through it. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is, that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, Clear as crystal. <coughs> I had to think about the walls of the city when we started this study on Nehemiah and the gates. I don't know if any of your all minds went to this, but that here we see um, we read about the walls and the gates of the city and listen to some of the, the things that we have to look forward to. Uh, verse 12. And had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. <clears throat> and the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereon, 140 and four cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. The city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. 
And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopher, chrysoprasus, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was one of pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, and the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yield her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, and they, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto these things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. (coughs) And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. 
and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Those are some powerful verses about what we have to look forward to, and that's eternity. Um, and I take it as literal where it talks about this pure gold and the precious stones and the water and God being the light and all of that. I take that as literal. Now, some may not, but um, when you think about how beautiful the creation is that we see here, it pales in comparison to eternity. So my prayer is that we will embrace eternity, and to embrace means to hold close or to cling to. I thought about um, having the children do a skit, and we didn't plan that, but, um, you know, there are really three types of people. There are people that go through life that completely ignore eternity totally. They have no thought of eternity ever. And then the second category of people would be those that occasionally face eternity. Uh, they know what it is. They may even be people that go to church. They may uh, go on a short-term mission trip. But basically, they're living their life and doing things to appease God. That's, that's the second group. The third group would be those that actually embrace eternity and have an eternal perspective and live like it. And too often I found myself in category one or two and not in category three. And you realize what that means. That means I wasted that time, right? It's, we understand that. That's a waste. And I could share different things, hobbies, whatever, but... I don't need to beat a dead horse, I guess. Um, life is brief, and it's also life is also uncertain, and the Lord could return any time. So teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's purpose to live each day in such a way as to be pleasing to the Lord and to one day hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to close with prayer. You can stand. And then after we pray, we'll be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would um, take your word and make it change our lives. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts and that you would give us... Uh, an eternal perspective. I just pray, God, that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace, Father. Just pray that we would hold these things very loosely and that our lives would 
give evidence that we are living for eternity, Lord. I just pray that you would um, stamp eternity on our eyes and engrave it in our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those that are here tonight. I thank you for their desire and their passion and their zeal to be with God's people, Lord, and their hunger and their thirst for your word and for fellowship. I just pray that we would have a good time of fellowship uh, afterwards. Thank you for the privilege we have and the freedom to gather in your name. I just pray you'd help us to have a good week and that you'd go with us and give us boldness, fill us with your spirit. And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.